Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. Sean, thank you for being here. Sean is the founder of Audit, O-D-D-I-T. So Sean, um, Audit helps e-commerce brands uh, with CRO. Is that right? I'm curious. Is, is Audit an agency? Is it a product? Is it a productized agency? What is Audit exactly? And um, tell us more about yourself as well. Yeah, so Audit Audit definitely does help brands with CRO, um, not in the traditional way that a lot of DTC brands might experience it, but we definitely do. Um, if you had to put kind of a label on it, I would say it's it's a productized service. So it's taking a lot of the a lot of the input and and services that might be offered through a more traditional agency, but we package them in a way that the communication between client and 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 the agency would be cut down so much, and that's part of how we keep our price reasonable while still delivering a really high fidelity, um, I guess, report out of it. Um, we cut down a lot of the client communication and you know all the back and forth that just drives up the you know the rates on a lot of agency fees. Is it is it only for e-commerce brands? Do you guys work with companies outside of e-commerce, or is it you know is it CRO for checkout, or is it literally across the board based on whatever the goal is of, of the customer? Yeah, so it's interesting when we when we got into the space, um, it was kind of accidental. Our backgrounds for our leadership team, a lot of our leadership team is um, product design and brand building, so it's not actually in conversion rate optimization. Um, our background is in really taking long form consumer journeys in, in the digital space. So think like, you know, booking an airline flight with added luggage and booking a car and like, you know, a really long checkout journey, like call it 40 steps. Um, so our background is in actually designing and, and removing friction from product journeys like that. Uh, a few of us started a product design agency back in 2010. We grew that to about 80 employees and had offices in New York, Miami, Paris, uh, Calgary, Toronto. And, uh, you know, through that growth and experience over those eight years, we exited uh, in 2018. But um, through all that growth and, and, you know, learnings with clients in that part of our lives, um, just learned a ton about removing friction from user experience journeys and uh, how Audit kind of came about and how we ended up working on the CRO space, um, and I promise I'm going to answer your actual question here. Um, how we ended up actually in the CRO space is we invested in a, a really smart uh, guy named Chris McCoolin um, that runs Coolin Performance Marketing Agency. And one of the things that we saw uh, with a lot of those customers and specifically DTC brands is that they're spending 20, 30, 40, 50, up to 150 grand a month on paid marketing, and they're really not spending 
anything on their website in, in, in relation to that, right? So let's say it's hundred grand, they're spending like a thousand a month on upkeep of their site, right? Aside from, you know, the odd plug-in for subscriptions and shit like that. And it, it just kind of seems crazy to me because for me, coming from a product design background, there's just so much money left on the table. Outs like once that traffic's there, you know, that clicking that ad is step one of 10. Thinking, what about those other nine steps in the consumer journey to get them into either being a brand ambassador or, or brand believer or actually purchasing? There's so many different facets there and things that need to be optimized. So I, to be totally frank, when we launched Audit, we were just doing these brand teardowns for performance marketing clients at, at the Coolin Agency. And it really, it, it started to work like we just naturally saw conversion going up. And we were like, okay, well, maybe this is CRO because <laughs> we're increasing their conversion rate. Um, so we actually spun it out as a product from that experience. And uh, we decided to label it brand first CRO, which, you know, our perspective is is definitely, and, and our intention is definitely to help D2C brands or any of our customers increase their conversion rate. Um, but we really look at it from a completely different lens and the deliverable is completely different. So like, we're not looking at data, we're not looking at hot, like um, heat maps, we're not looking at any of that stuff. There's a place for that in, in your conversion optimization, like that, nothing that audit does is saying you shouldn't be doing these things. I think that's a huge part of, um, growing a brand is, is focusing on, on data, but we're really in place to be the step before a more traditional CRO approach of testing and split testing and implementing, you know, the winning path of each of those. Um, we're kind of in place to help brands take a step back, make sure that the overall journey is pretty frictionless and help them just align their brand. I think dialing in all those details of a brand is where all the trust is built. Um, and especially with so like D to C so easy to get into. Um, now there's just such easy access to everything from packaging, production, launching the site, you know, everything's so accessible that the competitive landscape is just so broad. I think it's important, um, for brands to really focus on all those little details. Um, so long-winded answer, <laughs> we don't just work with D2C brands. We actually work with quite a few uh, software companies, uh, service agencies. Really, again, because our conversion rate optimization is not focused on necessarily dollars out the other end, it really is focused on how do we just remove friction from the journey. So we end up working with a lot of brands in different spaces to just help them align their, their UX. The end result in at least every case so far has been an increased conversion. Um, but it really isn't like the, it, 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 it's not CRO from a traditional standpoint, like I said, where we're, we're actually monitoring it, working with the month to month to test it. It's really kind of like a, uh, a one-time service where we're coming in, tearing down your brand, resetting the foundation so that when you do that stuff, you're in a better position. Got it. Got it. So basically, Sean, where you guys come in is you're based on like the experience that you guys have had in your respective fields. You're really coming in. Brands are saying, hey, I know that I think there's uh, like some opportunity here if we take a more holistic approach, a step back. And that's why you guys kind of come in and help them make the key adjustments that they may, may need to make. And then they can put those into action. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, totally. And and honestly, we work with brands at so many different stages. So we'll work with D2C brands that are, you know, four years down the line, they haven't changed their site. And they're just like, you know what, let's get a boost going. And and there's so there's ones like that. And then there's new brands where we're actually auditing their wireframes or we're auditing their Figma files, not even a live site. 
Um, and then we work with some clients where we're, we're almost like an added layer above and beyond their agency of record. So the agency, and in most cases, um, all design agencies, they're really not built for conversion. They're built to make things look sexy and, 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 you know, more of the brand brand focus side of it, where it's like, you're getting people to get excited about the look and the feel and, and not necessarily conversion optimized. So, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's how most agencies are built. And that's how most of them are selling what they do. They're not saying they're going to give you the best conversion rate ever when they launch your site. So we, we also get injected as a layer within that, um, whether it's a, a single D2C brand or some VC firms will use us as like an added review uh, stage. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's a lot of ways that we can be injected um, and we're pretty flexible. Like on the site, you'll see it's certain reports, but we really are flexible with um, trying to help out as best we can, no matter what the scenario is. I think that's a cool way to approach it in terms of taking the like, merging where brand and traditional like branding agencies actually meets, um, you know, conversion optimization. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty smart and unique approach to it because the two are definitely interlinked, but brand in a traditional sense, like you were alluding to is just like, oh, let's create this amazing brand with all these different, um, you know, bells and whistles and we're reimagining our brand. But what is what marketers care about is like, well, what is the actual impact on the business and, and you guys being able to take that approach of, hey, let's use our experience, especially in UX product, reducing friction to be able to run a pass through for these different brands, identify those, um, you know, key opportunities so that they can go. So um, the next question would be, are, are you also working with clients then on a, um, you know, a multiple time basis? Because I know in my business, I'm, I'm sure businesses are, they're changing all the time and they have new products, they have new offerings and what you can't just always cobble things together on top of an old foundation. A lot of times you need to kind of reimagine things from your current place in time. So do you, is this something where you're working with brands, maybe, you know, every six months or whatever, you'll, you'll do a refresh every year, you do a refresh um, as soon as all those different components change for a brand? Yeah, so we, we're only ourselves a year old. So we haven't had a, too many D2C brands that are coming back for a second or third time. There are, you know, let's say 10, 15% of our customers that are kind of repeating and, and doing the process again. Um, but you're totally right. Like it's as much as we sell it as a one and done, I mean, brands should never stop evolving and tweaking and, and, and refining. So um, it's definitely something we've seen a need for. Um, this month, we're actually launching uh, what we're calling the Audit Club, which is it's really intended to, to allow brands to have access to some of our auditors and some of our team members on an ongoing basis. So it's a private community. Um, you get access to all of our best practices and all of our like documentation, all of our kind of constant ongoing changes to what we're doing. Um, you also can like chat actually one-on-one -on -one with audit auditors. Um, and then we'll be doing like live brand teardowns for members. Um, we have guest speakers that come in and chat about certain aspects of CRO and, and D2C. So with that launching, I think there'll be less of a need for a customer to come in and say, hey, let's do a whole nother report you know, end to end of the site, um, because you're totally right. Like once it's done, you know, four weeks later, because we don't have a, an agency engagement with them, they want to ask a question and, you know, they're a customer, we want to help them, but like it has to end somewhere for us. So I think that by offering that audit club membership, it's kind of like a low, a low fee 
place for them to go and ask those questions. Um, and, and we feel compensated and we feel like we're helping them still and they feel like they're getting value out of it. That sounds, that sounds awesome. Um, and, and when, when it comes to your actual, you know, say customers, so CRO, you know, for example, um, the conversion rate of a web page depends a lot on the quality of the copy in it, the quality of the images, the quality of the videos, the quality of like the tech and how smooth it actually is to check out and what plugins are they using Stripe or like what, what, you know, the tech stack that they have behind. So can you walk us through like one of your favorite projects and an example of what it looks like to work with audit? Because I'm sure people listening might be thinking, well, you know, uh, do they also do my copy or do they just suggest and do they have people that can, they can refer, etc.? Yeah. So we actually, we worked with a really unique um, product about, I would say six months ago. Um, uh, Warren and John, they, they launched pretzels, or uh, sorry, licorice.com uh, quite a while ago. These are, you know, Warren's a D2C guy from the 90s. Um, and, and they launched licorice.com and we, you know, we took that project and helped them relaunch an entirely new ecosystem. And then we actually helped them port over all the thinking from that site into other domains that they're launching. So their own pretzels.com, they own a few others. Um, so that was like, that's a more robust, unique relationship, but really what we're doing when we work with brands, whether it's something like that, that it's like a multiple um, brand project or just a single audit report, what we're reviewing is what we call all conversion points. And in our perspective, that generally comes from two things. One, our experience and two, where the customer is driving traffic. A lot of the brands that would buy an audit, 90% of their traffic is from paid media. It's not organic. So they know, you know, when they change their ad campaign or their, their spend, where that traffic's going. And we want to focus on those points to make sure that that's where their conversion is happening. Um, but generally we focus on your homepage, your collections page, your product pages, and then any landing pages you're doing. And then regardless of what the engagement is with us, we always completely redesign and, and give feedback on your navigation and your cart. Um, and so like those would be the five major conversion points that we look at every time. Um, so end to end full page flow of each of those plus your nav and cart. And then in addition to that, a lot of the brand first perspective comes from copywriting, like you mentioned. So, you know, if there's, if there's a massive like four page story on your about us page we're not going to edit that but when it comes to like how you're introducing a product a featured product on your home page or what the heading is in your in your header or introducing them in the collections page or all, all the like primary pieces of copy that are really like the most the most evident parts that a user is going to see every time we're giving feedback if not really thoroughly on it or rewriting it completely if it needs it um really with the end goal of just helping helping the brand tell a better story. I think that's probably one of the simplest things that we've seen um, over the past year. Like we've, we've looked at over a thousand sites now. And I would say the most consistent thing that's happening is brands just aren't doing a great job of positioning themselves outside of like, here's an image of my product and here's what it is. And, you know, that, that leaves a lot to the imagination for the consumer. And it also leaves them a little bit you know, lost. I think brand storytelling is something that um, a lot of brands struggle with. A lot of brands struggle with because it is a it's an art form. It, it's really hard to do, and there's a reason that you don't see a ton of brands do it well. Um, the ones that do either have really 
you know, specific founders in their group that are used to that or, or have experience in that, or they have the finances to hire, you know, a branding agency or someone with background in that. And so I think although ours is more of a light touch on a lot of that stuff, because um, we do so much experience change as well, um, I think it's really valuable for a lot of these small brands that, that do struggle with brand storytelling. It's funny because it's one of those things that when you see a really good page optimized for checkout, you don't even notice. Um, but founders are, are so in the weeds um, that, you know, they look at a bunch of other websites and they forget to look at their own because they're so busy. And then when an expert for CRO comes in and does it, it's like it's like it's almost like it was obvious and it looks easy. Um, so so it's definitely an art and, and something that gets forgotten when it's absolutely crucial to how you spend your marketing dollars. And what about the membership? What is the end goal with that? The one you mentioned you're, you're launching, taking a step back. What's the end goal with that? What would be a successful member? Um, and what would be the outcome of a successful member for that community? Yeah, so I think a successful membership comes with the ability to, I mean, and audit's really main goal. And the reason that it's a one-time report outside of that is because the main goal is to educate these brands. It's, it's about saying, okay, yeah, here's all these redesigned sections. It looks really sexy. And this is, you know, all these super fun changes that they get to make and that are going to increase their conversion. But the reason it's a one and done thing is that a lot of how we're positioning the feedback is educational. It's to say, yeah, you can, you know, here's a great new headline, but here's why it was written that way. Here's why we're putting it in this format. Um, here's why reviews are this high in the page. Here's why, you know, all these different things so that when they're building a new landing page or they're launching new products, they're now in the, uh, hopefully a little bit different mindset to say, okay, well, we should be doing it this way because this is how, you know, here's the why of how the thing, or <laughs> the how of why these things were positioned that way. So I think in the community, the main goal is to do that same thing at just at a lower price point and, and a little bit lower fidelity, right? You're not gonna come in uh, to that audit club community and, and be getting redesigned sections of your, of your website. That's not the expectation. It's more to be educating them, uh, to educating brands or founders or marketers, whoever's, you know, subscribing um, on best practices, things that are working. Um, we have partnerships with a, with quite a few different uh, larger brands out there um, on the development side. So there'll be like actual conversion optimized, uh, like CRO specific Shopify developers in there that are chatting with customers. There'll be uh, more traditional CRO people in there. So like. We're not saying don't do any of these things. We're, we're more just a part of an ecosystem. So there's also a ton of uh, those types of best practices that'll be published where it's it's more database thinking and saying, hey, you know, after a thousand split tests, this wins out 99% of the time. Like, we don't even need to test this. Go do this. This works. This is going to work for you. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of learnings, a lot of education. Um, and I think the main goal with it is just for, for customers to come out the other side each month with a little more knowledge and hopefully the ability to implement some of these really simple changes um, within their own brands and, and hopefully increase conversion. So Sean, what do you have any quick wins um, or, or some of these things that you guys think a lot about and you see like, you know, different brands committing all the time and you're like, oh man, if, if these if they would just focus on this, that would be a really quick win for them and they should really um, you know, focus on getting that implemented. Do you have any of those that you could share? Yeah, I mean, I, there's so many. I think. <laughs> I yeah, think, uh, of course, it's a good problem to have. No, yeah, there, there, there's so many. I think 
the biggest thing that I'm I'm constantly I feel like a broken record and and I honestly feel bad sometimes saying it so frequently but I think the biggest thing that brands miss out on so much is 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 trust building with customers um, and and a lot of brands especially the ones that are buying an audit where they're starting out and they just really want to like get on off on the right foot um, they see that trust building as getting and publishing reviews right and reviews are a huge part of of, of brand building that's kind of like now become the equivalent of, of you know, your best friend saying, hey, you got to try this, right? Like it, it almost holds the same power when it's done effectively. But I think it's 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 not really a great recommendation in a lot of cases because so many brands, you know, they're not liquid death. They don't have 90,000 reviews. Like it, it's hard to pack that punch when you don't have those set up. So part of what we're always recommending is, is alternate ways to do that trust building. Um, so, you know, like let's just say that a really common thing that you see in D2C brands now is like, just put your reviews at the top, right? Like whatever, 5,000 five-star reviews. Um, a lot of our recommendations come from how do we find alternates to that for brands that don't have 5,000 reviews or even 100 reviews. And I think trust building can come from a lot of places. I think you just have to get creative with it. So as an example, one alternate that we would offer to that is to say, okay, well, you don't have a ton of reviews, um, but you have a few. So you know, everyone can go get one review, right? We can go give your product out to someone on the street and see what they think. Like, it doesn't have to be something published. Um, so instead of maybe that 5,000 reviews, maybe you pull in just one really punchy sentence from one review. You know, sometimes the best people to describe your product are customers because they're not thinking of it from a marketing lens. They're just thinking of it from a value lens. And so, you know, if you don't have a ton of reviews, just pulling in one review um, right up front and center, instead of even telling customers what it is, what your product is, just let a customer or a reviewer do it. Um, so things like that, or, um, you know, instead of listing number of reviews, maybe list how many products you've sold. So maybe you haven't gotten a ton of reviews because that hasn't been part of your roadmap yet, but you've sold 10,000 units. That's, that's social proof. You know, 10,000 people have trusted you or, you know, a, a certain number of people have trusted you. And I think that's not maybe as effective as, as a five-star review of someone reporting it, you know, reviewing it after they've tried it, but it's still social proof. It's still saying, hey, you know, this isn't, you're not the first buyer. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to like little nuances like that, where a lot of our thinking and a lot of the things we're recommending don't apply to everyone. So we're, we're trying to navigate things like that, like social proof of how do we make it work for this brand specifically. No, that, that's really helpful because I think, you know, a lot of brands might just focus on all these other components in terms of conversion and maybe miss out on really important foundational pieces, like you were saying, like the trust, the social proof, the storytelling, um, et cetera. So one thing I wanted to circle back with on storytelling, I know that's like kind of a, a trendy buzzword these days and everyone wants to be a good storyteller and a brand builder. So I think you know, like you were saying, one part of the storytelling is helping to build and evoke that sense of trust with the prospective customer. But, um, you know, how else do you guys or what, what other tips would you recommend just in terms of storytelling for brands and how they can think about doing a better job of, you know, telling their story and differentiating themselves in a landscape where there's a whole bunch of um, people competing, competing with slightly similar products? Yeah, I think what I would advise a lot of DDC brands to do is, is put the same lens that you would put on your ad strategies. You know, if, if, if you go and put up a TikTok ad, for example, that's just a, a product rendering on a white background versus a user using it in real life and it's organic and it feels really like 
you know, like they're actually using it. We all know which ad's going to work better 99% of the time, right? It's the, it's the organic one that feels like it's being actually used. And I think on a website, there, there's a place for the rendering, right? There's certain scenarios where it's important for a user to actually just see what the hell it is, not see someone, you know, see the hammer, not someone swinging it. And I think there's, there's places for that. But there's also places that you need to inject the product being humanized, right? Where, where they actually feel like someone's using it. And I think weaving those more human aspects of, of your product. So like I said, actually someone swinging a hammer versus just the, the hammer, I think is a really important thing that a lot of brands miss. Um, and, and, and I really don't understand why. Like for me, UGC is meant to look like UGC. It doesn't always have to be this high produced um, you know, expensive video. It can really be an iPhone video of someone using it um, because in, in, when it's positioned the right way in that story, um, you know, it, the fidelity really isn't as, as, as important anymore. Um, and the same goes with your ad strategy. So I think that's one of the main things is visuals. Like there's something to be said about the brands that have this beautiful, like, you know, Apple feeling of like everything is so perfect and, and rendered like exactly with the right shadows and lighting and sizing. And that's great. Um, it definitely makes the product look, you know, high end and, and, and does build a certain amount of trust. But I think it, you really can't uh, have that exclusively. I think you have to find a balance of, of not UGC necessarily, but just that more organic, like, hey, here's the product actually in use. Um, I think that's something that a lot of brands are missing, on at least on the website front. That reminds me of a conversation I had with a previous guest we had in a friend of mine. His name is Emmett Shine from Pattern Brands. And he was working with a, a kitchen cookware company. And, you know, they had a photo shoot at the kitchen, etc. But, you know, it started getting super messy. Like they were making pasta. It started getting messy. And they were about to clean it all up for the photo shoot. And it was like, no, like leave it like that, like make it messy. That's how normal people eat. You know, there's going to be spaghetti sauce around the countertop and we're actually going to make it feel human. Um, not like, you know, we just totally cleaned this up and made this, you know, without a fingerprint for, for this um, photo shoot specifically. And that's what people relate to. Yeah, I think and people relate to it. And it, to be honest, it, it makes most websites and most content more shareable, right? It, it it generally is is more exciting. It's not quite. A, it's not very exciting to share a, a static image of a rendering, but when the when the content feels more useful or more organic, I think it is more shareable. And I think one of the lenses that Audit tries to apply to to D to C and to conversion rate is is I guess non revenue driven CRO, which it, it kind of backwards. But like when we look at conversion rate, it's not just conversion rate of like purchases. It's what about the conversion rate of brand ambassadors, right? Like you're going to get a ton of people to your site that may not purchase, but if you make an impression on them, there's, they still might talk about it. Like Graz, uh, uh, olive oil is a perfect example. I, I can't even buy the shit, right? I can't order it in Canada, right? I can't order it. Can't try it. But I know 10 chefs, home cooks, people like I have preached that brand so many damn times and I've never tried it. I don't know what the olive oil tastes like. I don't know how good the packaging is. I'm strictly basing it off of their storytelling on their site. And traditional CRO doesn't account for that, right? That brand converted me into a brand ambassador without ever actually purchasing. And I've probably converted sales for them without them knowing or anyone knowing. But that's CRO in the audit lens, right? 
we're, you're telling a really unique story. You're showing a product really interesting and, and you're doing it really organically in a way that converts people into brand ambassadors and brand believers without even ever trying the product. And I think that's a huge miss for a lot of brands where they're just like data, data, data. And, you know, I'd love to see someone try and figure out which sales were for me because it's not going to be possible, right? There's just certain things when you're building a brand that you can't, you can't slap a number on. Have you ever done a campaign that hasn't been specifically for sales and it was actually like whether it was an email or giveaway, whatever, and then it was translated into sales? Um, we just had the founder of Ridge Wallet and I follow him on Twitter and I just saw he did a campaign where he sponsored this podcast, Colleen and Samir, which are these guys on Creator Economy. And interesting enough, instead of sponsoring for for sales and you know sponsoring the pot for sales he sponsored it to grow his creator network um of his own brand you know his influencer network um and so that's the first time i've seen that happen on on e-commerce um i'm curious if this is something you're seeing now where people are going you know not so directly for the sale out of the gate yeah i think i would say the best version of that it's not exactly that but i think the best version of that is you're seeing more founders um be the voice on Twitter and not the brand. I think that, you know, they're, they're taking this step back and just being like, believe in me as a person. And, and that trust is built with the human. And then they're like, okay, well, I guess when I need a wallet, it'll be a ridge. Whether or not I like the look or the style or I've tried, it doesn't matter. It's like, I believe in this person. And I think that that's a huge part of D to C, right? Because so many of these brands feel and are, are optically founder led. They're not like people in the shadows. They're, they're either building publicly or they're on Twitter or they're, they're, they're in the lens, like in the public eye, at least in a certain sense. And I think that's one perfect example of that, where you're, you're really just marketing that human being now, and then people are buying into that and that translates down to the brand. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that, um, Sean, one thing that you mentioned there that really stood out is the idea that when you do like good CRO, when you're doing good CRO, it's not just about what you're tracking inherently in the metrics right off the bat. There's all these other um, ripple effects of good CRO, like you were mentioning, like a brand ambassador, like, you know, maybe you get a shout out here or there and, you know, people can't exactly track it like you would be able to like, oh, this person converted from this source and here we have his attribution link, et cetera. But, um, you know, thinking holistically about CRO, I think is something that's really important for a lot of brands. And that leads me into my next question and something that you guys have a lot of background in and focus on at Audit, which is UX, right? So um, when, you know, when you were talking about some of those really complex flows and removing friction from a 40 step checkout flow with all these variables, and now you're back now you're backing into like D2C e-commerce land. What are some of the opportunities for removing friction on site for um for these D2C brands? Because like let's say one, we've we've already established, let's say we've got good storytelling, we've built trust, right? And now it's time to start moving into like, okay, consumers have limited attention span. They don't want to be uh, you know, they have a million things going on, and we need to make it as easy as possible for them to like make a quick decision, put something in their cart and check out. Um, so what are some of those opportunities that you see in the experience that you've had building UX that tie directly into how you would inform tips or strategy around UX for um, growing D2C brands? Yeah, I think probably one of the most consistent things that we're, we're chatting with brands about is 
is clear communication when it comes to taking action. So like as an example, let's just say that you go to a site and a lot of the brand, a lot of brands when they're building out these home pages, product, whatever page of their site, um, they focus so much on the copywriting and the, the whole flow of the page. And that's great. But most users are scanning until they see a button, right? Or they're scanning until they see something that catches their eye. They're not reading every word. They're not reading every part of the site. And so just as an example, when I come to a homepage and let's just say that the brand focuses on taking a quiz, right? That's their main action. And in that headline on the homepage, it tells me exactly what I'm going to be doing, right? I'm going to be taking a quiz. If the user and, you know, at the end of that, there's an action that says get started. A lot of the stuff that we're constantly talking to brands about is relabeling that button to be descriptive of what's actually happening. Where are they going? What are they doing? They're not, I can be getting started shopping. I could be getting started on a quiz. I could be getting started on contacting you, getting started chatting. There's no context there for a user that scanned and didn't see that headline. Whereas if I just label it, start the quiz or even more descriptive, I instantly know exactly what I'm doing. If, even if I skip the headline and that's a really specific example, but like you, you just, you can't assume that everything you're doing is seen and read. It's just not going to happen. There's so few users that read every PC or site. Look at a heat map, right? Like it's, it, there's, there's a reason there's very specific points that are hot and cold and it, it just doesn't happen. Very few users are going to read that entire flow. So I think communicating within actions as specifically as possible is really critical. Same thing with, uh, on your PDP, when you have a checkout button or an add to cart button, you know, people are like, they always shy away from putting the price on the add to cart button. And I mean, maybe if you're, if, if you're really worried about people being price sensitive, I mean, they're going to ditch it in their cart if they don't know the price anyway. But I think the simple fact of showing that price and the add to cart, it, all it does is it makes sure the user doesn't have to look back and forth to the top of the screen. And that little millisecond, it, it has the smallest effect on conversion and the smallest effect on their drop off because it's just one less thing that they're doing. Yeah, it's not like an action, but just that that simple glance of them having to look up, find the price, look back down, all those little micro interactions stack up and those are the things that affect conversion. And I think that's where our experience across really long user journeys, right? Like one of the products I worked on in 2014 was a, a business booking platform um, for a very, very like American Express. And, and you know, there I think at one point there was 197 interactions or something for the average business traveler. And so you start to deal in really small micro interactions and, and just trying to shave off the littlest, like the littlest pain point. Um, so I, I think applying that lens to DDC when, when there's really like on a product page for interactions, you know what I mean? Like it, it's really interesting to apply some of that thinking and see how it shakes out. Um, and, and there's just so much learnings from that. Like for me, it really like anyone can do CRO. You just go to your product page and be like, could this be communicated more clearly? Could this be simpler? Right. If I'm adding yeah. to cart, would it, is it, is it more communicative to say the price? Yeah. Okay. Well add your price. Yeah. And another area that I think starts to get exciting with what you guys are talking about is customer is customer journeys, longer format customer journeys for these brands, right? Cause like you were saying in the beginning, 90% of budget is going to performance marketing. Sure. They're getting them in the funnel. And then, you know, as things move to more life cycle and personalization and everything like that, understanding the friction over the course of not just one purchase, but repeated purchases and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that's, that pu pu puts you guys in a really interesting 
position for how, you know, brands can think about, um, you know, shaving off friction and where UX really comes into the fold of a customer's life cycle and not just, uh, you know, not just one of their purchases, right? Yeah. And I think the other, the other interesting part about spending time or effort on your site versus campaigns or, you know, anything else, um, is it, it really is the part that you control the most, right? Like, yeah, Shopify can change things or maybe a plugin you have changes or updates and it kind of screws with something. But for the most part, you control everything there. You control the ecosystem, you control the customer journey where there are and aren't barriers. Whereas in a lot of campaign, like I'm sure you guys have seen on like most paid marketers are, are they're stressed right now. Like Facebook's it's becoming harder and harder to advertise on. Um, anytime iOS change makes a change, they got to shift strategy. Like it's just, it's so up and down. You're constantly having to learn and evolve. And, and I think brands that are focused on their site, ex, on-site experience and, and brand communications, they're going to win out because they have full control of that stuff. And, and, you know, you don't have to cr- jump through quite as many hoops on the, on the ad side when, when the user gets to the site and your conversions are. How how do you how do you compare a website and the importance of CRO on a website a website versus a landing page? Um, because a lot of e-commerce brands they, they obviously use a lot of landing pages and you know people are recommending them different things like oh build your website on Webflow with Shopify integration and then you know oh no you don't have to you can just use Unbounce or you know lead magnets and in in no code landing pages. So you know if you're using a lot of landing pages for example. You know, do you still recommend CRO on your website? Um, how, how do you compare those two? Yeah, I mean, my perspective as someone with a, like, I, my background is very brand focused. So for me, I'm always like, regardless of whether I, I put a user to a landing page for 90% of the time, I still want to be organically growing my brand. And so I'm always going to put money there and I'm always going to, you know, focus and, and try and keep optimizing that. Um, that said, like a lot of the stuff that we're recommending, you know, again, going back to the definition of conversion rate, it's not necessarily, we're not necessarily saying they're converting to a sale. We're saying converting on the goal of that page, right? So when they land on your homepage, you're, you're, what you're converting them on on the homepage is not necessarily always to buy, it's to get to the next stage. And so the conversion rate on your homepage is probably going to be higher because you're trying to get them to click a button, not add to cart, check out. Um, I think on a landing page, what's unique about a landing page and where, where I think brands could do a lot of learning is that by driving traffic to a landing page, that's a little more flexible, a single page, you know, storytelling, checkout, like all these kind of the full flow on a single page is you learn what works and what doesn't really quickly. And you can split test a lot easier and take those learnings back to your, you know, your actual domain or your, your primary site and start to implement them on that end. I don't, I don't think you need to test them on both. Um, a lot of the traffic is the same and a lot of the places that people get hung up is going to be the same. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, um, at the end of the day, I think you're just trying to build trust along the funnel and, you know, just handle, you know, also it, the success probably of your campaign with a customer, it's also going to depend on how well does this person know their customer. Um, if you can't properly articulate what those objections are going to be from the customer at each step of the funnel, that's probably going to make your job a lot harder to make that a successful customer. Yeah. And I think 
that's probably the hardest part about what we're doing and why it's so hard to scale the audit um, product and even even in the community. Um, so much of it isn't best practice. It, it's, it's things that have worked across other sites and other brands and they've been tested, but so much of it is brand specific. So much of it is how big is your catalog? What space are you in? How heavy is it to ship? All the, like all these things factor into our recommendations, right? Um, and so it, it becomes a really complex, uh, you know, we, we have to systemize some of it, but the reports are very, very long-winded and, and, and they're actually very hard to produce because of that. It's everything from, you know, a lemon perfect type thing where it's one product, one page, one button, like it's the simplest thing ever to, you know, we have one customer that's a, a, a postpartum subscription with nine months, every month, a different subscription of three products, 27 products. You know, what the hell does the cart look like when I check that out? Like it, it, there's so, it's so much more complex, right? And what we recommend for best practices is it's, it's night and day for those two brands, right? There were, we're applying the same best practice to both of them, but what that looks like is so different depending on the product and their story. And to your point, you know, how well they are at identifying their customer. Yeah. So let's dive into that a bit more. Like, can you share more? What are the customers you have worked with all the way from, you know, the earliest stages to the largest companies you work with in case there's anyone listening that might be interested in this? You mentioned the postpartum and then you mentioned pretzels.com. Um, I also see some great brands on your website. So yeah, what are, what are some of those brands? Yeah. So we really do work with, like I mentioned earlier, brands at every stage um, and size that kind of sweet spot that we've seen the most um, traction with is kind of in that they found product mark, like market fit and they're ready to scale and they're just trying to kind of dial things in. Um, so we work with a lot of brands on that growing kind of trajectory. Um, we've worked, we're working with a few brands with uh, Wink wines. So like wonderful wines and, and their new brand. Um, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of skincare brands out there, but a lot of skincare and, and health brands, um, you know, uh, Disco is one of them. Um, sorry, there's just so many in the in the list. I'm All trying good. to get good. one's the most exciting, but like Mudwater, um, a lot of beverage products, a lot of, uh, but again, like everything from 100, 100 product catalogs to single product catalog yeah um and for anyone who's curious on what those other brands are it's oddit.co i was looking at the website which is why i brought that up so um sean you know uh, almost um getting to the end here i'm curious if you have any words for anyone who potentially owns an agency and is looking to you know scale their agency in a more productized way or you know they're they're an agency that you know serves e-commerce brands and you know they're tired of the agency world and um, i just feel like this model is really awesome and i think we're going to see more of it so curious if you have any any tips or advice for anyone out there or even like e-commerce founders that just know so much for example about tiktok and they're like you know what i'd rather just start my own business or on TikTok then then run this e-commerce brand. So um yeah, do you have any words for those people? Yeah, I think I think the one thing that we were able, you know, we got lucky with being able to apply this lens to a bunch of cooling customers. So it made it easy for us to identify what what we were great at in that space. But I think a lot of agencies are very conscious of what they're best at. Um, and a lot of brand owners are conscious of what they're best at. And like most entrepreneurs, um, I think a lot of us 
have a have a tough time saying no. And so a lot of agencies ended up end up with a lot of bulk um, services and clients that they just had a tough time saying no to for money. And that's totally natural. And I've been there and done that thousands of times um, over the last decade. But I think with audit, it really came down to trying to really hone in on that one thing that we're really talented at. And I think that was reducing friction from user experience journeys. And I think that's an exercise that every owner of an agency or a brand should should do for themselves, regardless of whether they want to productize a service or do anything, um, is really try and funnel down to like, what is your key offering? What are you best at? And I think that's why we've had success even in our marketing is even though we call ourselves CRO or a lot of our customers call us CRO, we get a lot of blowback from CRO brands being like, well, that's not CRO. But it's it's tough. For, it's really hard for people to get mad at us because we just kind of we're not we're not even trying to self-proclaim that it's CRO. We're really just saying, look, we're doing one thing really well. And if it if you don't think it's going to increase conversion, try it. We'll do it for free. We literally say it on our site, like, come try it free. And I think funneling that down to that single simple thing that we do really well, which is reducing friction for brands, um, I think is what really made the product a success so far. And so I think when an agency is trying to consider, okay, well, what the hell could I do? Like you said, TikTok, whatever. It's finding, I think, finding what that one thing is or two things is that you're really, really great at. And then figuring out what that looks like in a package or a product or a, maybe it's a masterclass. Maybe it's a, I think there's a hundred ways that you can productize a service. Um, and the ecosystems and, and offerings out there to, to do that are, are vast. You know, it doesn't have to be like audit where it's a PDF that you got to, you know, essentially it's an agency when you come into our office, right? It's just skinned a different way on the marketing front. But I think there's a ton of ways that you can productize these these services. Um, and I think the, the big benefit, in my opinion, is that in my experience in the agency world, you know, I've done three different agencies now and, you know, customer doesn't realize it, but 70% of the cost they're paying for is, is feedback loops, email chains, Skype call or Skype, Zoom calls. <laughs> Skype, Zoom, Google, whatever calls. Um, they're not actually paying for your your talents. They're paying for airtime. And I think that's really what's what got me out of the agency model is you just you're just trying to constantly up the retainer and most of that time is being allocated to client management, which is just insane. Um, and, and because you don't have that obligation, what I love about you guys is like you're also probably going to choose to work with customers you know that you align with and are going to make successful because you're trying to do it at such scale that, you know, you're not just going to take on, on every absolute thing that comes your way if there's no alignment. Yeah. And I think one of the things that naturally came to the audit, I guess, customer service side was because there's no feedback loops, because there's no like hey, customer, what do you think of this? We really get to be honest, which is really rare in an agency or a vendor relationship, right? Like if I just think something sucks, I get to just say it. I don't have to worry about them firing me or, you know, they could ask for a refund, but like whatever, it's their right. I mean, it, I think that's a really unique part of doing this type of service and not having that back and forth in that ongoing retainer relationship is it's no longer pitching the client to say, hey, do you like this? We now have the position of saying, hey, this is what's right, or at least what our background, our experience and in this space feels is right for your brand. And we actually really don't care that much about their opinion, to be honest. They hired us for our specific abilities and what we're great at. 
and they can listen to it or not. That's what they paid for. And, and if they don't like our opinion, they can get a refund and that's no problem. Yeah, Sean, I think that's a really great way to kind of sum everything up in terms of what you guys do. Um, and I think it really what you're doing is you're almost applying that lens, like a product lens to um, the whole side of these businesses, right? Like you're looking at things from uh, a product perspective saying, how can we reduce friction for you? And what are your unique opportunities to reduce friction? Because every product's a little bit different. Every D2C offering is a little bit different. So you guys just kind of come in and you apply a tradition, a more traditional product lens that a lot of D2C brands, you know, when, when D2C hears product, they're thinking about like actual physical product and producing goods and that sort of thing. Whereas in product in the agency and the tech world is literally all about reducing friction, understanding UX, understanding how you're messaging and communicating with people. And maybe that comes off as CRO in the D2C landscape. But um, I just think it's a really cool way and a real holistic approach that you guys are bringing to brands. And I think it's really cool. Um, so anyway, really appreciate um, you know you coming on and, and sharing a bunch of that insight with uh, with our listeners. And I guess last thing, um, before we jump, if there's anywhere where, you know, if our listeners are trying to connect with you, where can they find you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? Free audit. Yeah, if they want, if they want to get a, an audit going, where, where, where do they find you? Yeah. So if you want to try the free trial, um, go to audit.co and, and you'll oddit.co, you'll see uh, try audit free. Um, so that'll get you kind of like a free snippet of, we'll kind of tear down a section of your site and, and show you kind of our thinking. Um, and then alternatively, uh, the beta for the community launches tomorrow, actually. Um, not, sorry, the sign up for it. Uh, so the community launches in a few weeks, but you can start signing up tomorrow. So that'll also be on site. And I mean, the best place to get anything in terms of like free education or just learnings that we're, we're sharing on um, from our clients and from our experiences on Twitter. So just follow audit audit on Twitter. Um, and then for me, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's, it's Brantify, B-R-A-N-D-T-I-F-Y. Um, but yeah, I mean, really excited, uh, to continue growing and hearing from, uh, from more and more DC brands. And I really appreciate, really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no, for sure. Disclaimer, the community will be live then by the time the episode is live. So, um, we'll send them your way. Thank you, Sean, for being here today with us and everyone else have a good one. 